This week's episode is going to be a little bit different. Typically, it's me, Suzanne, and Emily from Leading Veterinary Teams talking all things veterinary leadership. Sometimes it's just us, other times we have guests. In this episode, the tables are turned and we're the guests. We were invited by Emily, the owner of Love.QVet, a really awesome vet tech-led brand to talk about navigating difficult conversations. This conversation was so good, we went way over time and therefore decided to split this episode into two parts. In this first part, we talk all about who we are, the importance of handling difficult conversations, and how to identify that a conversation is about to be challenging. We also dive into the role of emotional intelligence and how that plays into having these difficult conversations. In part two, we will be talking all about where and when these conversations should happen, strategies for constructive dialogue, steps to take after the conversation, and then you'll hear some personal stories of when difficult conversations led to positive outcomes. We hope you enjoy this one as it was such a fun conversation and one we feel is incredibly important to have. Hey guys, I'm just getting our guests on for tonight. Instagram will work with me. Hello. Oh, hey. Hello, guys. Welcome. Hello, hello. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Much appreciated. Of course. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Of course. All right. Awesome. It looks like people are joining. I can't believe two work that easily. Normally, it takes like at least 10 minutes. <laughs> Maybe five. <laughs> well, Good evening, everyone. My name is Emily. I'm the owner and founder of Love Hubet. And for our November wellness workshop, we have leading veterinary teams. And this is run by Suzanne and Emily. So uh, Emily and Suzanne, could you give us a brief introduction about yourselves and your role in VetMed? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Suzanne. I will try to be brief. I don't do brief very well, but I will try. Um, I am a mom of almost six-year-old twins. One of them is right here and the other one is right there. So I apologize ahead of time if they are loud, obnoxious, and annoying. Um, yeah, I'm talking about you. Um, I am a wife. I'm a dog mom. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old husky uh, pity mix named Mavi, a chihuahua dachshund mix named Miley, um, a very fat tabby cat named Louie. Um, I have two bachelor's degrees, a bachelor's in business and in vet med, uh, in veterinary technology. Um, I am a licensed technician. Before vet med, I was in retail. I was a retail store manager. I managed three stores in New Jersey. Um, and then I, when I got into veterinary medicine, I worked primarily in oncology um, for probably about five and a half years. And then in the last handful of years, I've been in various leadership roles from uh, corporate leadership to hospital manager, most recently uh, director of operations for a startup company. Um, and now I'm the CEO and founder of Leading Veterinary Teams, uh, where we provide mentorship training uh, and community to veterinary leaders and people who want to be leaders in vet med, um, primarily looking to help people be the leaders that we never had. What? Love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that and for being here and 
Your history is awesome. That's that's great. <laughs> Emily, you want to share? Uh, yeah. So my name is Emily. I am the co-founder of um, LVT. Uh, so a little bit about me is I am a dog mom to my little Chewini Lennon, uh, who is very, very popular amongst my friends. And I have four cats. Um, if you ask my roommates, they'll tell you that I moved in with four cats and a dog and I'm moving out with two cats and a dog because they are going to be taking two cats away from me because they've fallen in love with them. So uh, very, very big on my animals. Um, I started in the field uh, when I graduated uh, college in 2008 with my teaching degree and unfortunately could not get a job as a teacher because there was a freeze on hiring all teachers in New Jersey at that time. So I started working at Petco as an inventory manager, um, had a family friend who was a vet said, why don't you come clean kennels for us? You've always liked animals. And that's just kind of how it started for me. Um, I put myself through school, um, ended up getting my certifications, uh, worked my way up through management, was doing practice manager kind of things, and then eventually found myself in a corporate position where I was training hospital leaders on um, really how to connect with their team and those kind of things. And uh, Suzanne and I both worked together and realized we can really kind of help change the vet field a little bit. So why not share our knowledge with everybody else? For real. I mean, it is so needed and it's definitely something that unfortunately vet med lacks. So uh, I think you guys are onto something. <laughs> Um, so why is that? Why is it so crucial to effectively navigate through these tough conversations in VetMed? Emily, do you want to want to take the lead on this? Um, it's up to you. I saw that you had some notes. I didn't know if you wanted to. Um, one of the things in VetMed, I'll just jump in really quick. One yeah. of the things in VetMed is it's always hard to kind of talk to anybody, I think at any leader level, um, everybody kind of feels intimidated, especially in the vet med field, um, when it comes to your education and how long you've been doing things and those kind of things. Those are kind of things that people look at you and are like, well, I maybe don't want to have that conversation with that person because they've been doing it that way for so long. And you just kind of stand off a little bit. Um, I find it more common um, when it comes to having those conversations between just other people that you're working with on the floor, not so much just leaders in general. And I think a lot of it has to do with like our viewpoint on senior seniority. That's a great point. And if, yeah, like you said too, people, a lot of people like tiptoe around and don't want to hurt feelings, but I mean, that's not the intention, you know, <laughs> I think people need to mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or learn. learn. <laughs> yeah. And to kind of, to piggyback on that you know I think that it's really important to recognize that difficult conversations are always going to happen especially in our business right we whether it's a difficult conversation with an owner I've worked in with cancer patients right I, we had difficult conversations all the time or if it's a difficult conversation with your you know co-worker or someone you're leading or a doctor um, early on in my career it was really uncomfortable to have as a leader uncomfortable to have conversations with doctors because i was like but i'm a technician they're not going to take me seriously even though i was their leader so sorry guys i'm gonna be on mute for a second. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um just to kind of talk a little bit about like, I think where like Suzanne is going with this is a lot of it does come down to 
um, who we communicate with. Um, I got into this field because a lot of us uh, didn't want to deal with people, but I've never talked to so many people before in my life, um, even working retail and in the hospitality industry. I talk to more people in the vet field, I feel like, than I have in those fields. Um, so it, it is kind of one of those things um, that a lot of us, like I said, have gotten into the field for because we didn't want to talk to people too much, but uh, we do end up having to have those conversations. Um, one of the things that I've worked on myself and one of the things that I can recommend to people is try to be uncomfortable with being, or be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, it's easy to say, not easy to do, uh, especially when those times come up and things it's like a new along those skill. lines. You have to keep practicing mm -hmm. to get more comfortable with it, but I don't think you'll actually be comfortable. <laughs> no, absolutely. And it's, and it's, it's not going to be comfortable um, being uncomfortable, but it's easy to start with smaller things too. Um, when you're kind of having uh, those difficult conversations, um, some of the things when it comes to like identifying those conversations or like signals that like might come up um, that the conversation might be uh, heading a little bit more difficult is um, when emotions start to get high and emotions get involved. Um, it's one of the things that you want to do is try to keep your feelings out of it. Um, your feelings and the other person's feelings. Especially being in the vet field, uh, we are very passionate people. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing what we do. 100%. <laughs> That's probably why we yeah. do it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, and then making sure, too, uh, as you're, like, getting ready to have these conversations, um, that you're doing it at the right time. Um, you want to make sure that you're okay with where your feelings are at, too. Uh, a lot of the times you're getting ready to have these difficult feel conversations because of something that happened and the way that it made you feel. Uh, and making sure you're having those conversations without really dragging like your feelings into it is something that's really hard to do. Um, one thing that I recommend is getting all the facts and everything first. So one easy thing to say is we were really busy today. And busy to you could be something that's totally different to me. Um, one of the facts that you could say there is we saw 19 patients today. Um, that's a fact over a feeling. Uh, I think if you're having a hard time discriminating to if something is like a fact versus a feeling, uh, talking to somebody else that doesn't have to do with the situation, uh, kind of just saying, you know, what your facts would be and see if they agree with the, those are your facts as well. I think you know, that's a great point, so. especially just getting that outside view. Um, and even like if you go home and talk to a loved one first, just to like, you know, vent it out almost and get out all those emotion and then you can, okay, maybe let me look back on this and get the key points that I really need to hit. <laughs> yeah. So one of like the, the, the biggest parts is like making sure you have your facts and not just the negative facts too. Yeah. Um, if there was something that happened that was like really, really well and that, um, situation or, or whatever it is that happens. Sometimes these difficult conversations don't have to always be negative. They can also have to do with giving somebody criticism um, about something that they did. Everybody kind of gets a little nervous when um, you're talking about feedback. Uh, it's something that everybody wants to hear, but not everybody is willing to take. Um, so those are also 
parts of handling those those difficult and uncomfortable conversations. Uh, no, but making sure, like I, I said, getting all of the facts, not just little bits and pieces, really trying to replay the scenario over, you know, even after you have that venting session with a loved one at home or somebody else, like replaying it in your head and like, for sure, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. I know I do that. Like every time I have a conversation, it's just replaying and replaying and replaying. <laughs> now, what are, yeah. what are some early signs that a conversation might be heading into difficult territory? Uh, definitely checking body language. Um, if somebody is kind of standing there with their arms crossed, um, they're not really making eye contact with you. Um, they're not, they're not ready to have that conversation. Um, another thing is when you can kind of tell when somebody's getting upset, um, eyes will start to roll, which is another big one. Um, when I've tried to have these conversations with people, uh, I've noticed the eyes rolling, the kind of standoffish, them not really being receptive. Um, one of the things that I do in that situation is I tell them, I see that you're not ready to have this conversation just yet, but this is something that I would like to talk about when you're ready to have this conversation. And I put the ball back in their court. Um, so this way, when they're ready, then I'm, I'm already at that point where I'm ready. So I could just pick up from where I left off. Um, if it's the opposite, where somebody is trying to have a conversation with me and I'm not ready to have it it's okay to set that boundary and say, I'm not ready to discuss this. I would like to talk about this with you at another time, but making sure that you're following up. That's the biggest part. We always forget that follow-up part. Um, even when it comes to like developmental meetings or just any type of meeting in general, I think in vet med, we get so involved in what's happening in the now that we go with that and everything's fine. And then, a couple months later, the same thing happens and we have the same incident and it's because we didn't get a chance to follow up from what happened the last time. Um, so definitely having those follow up conversations um, as well and making sure that you're um, being true to yourself in the conversation. Um, I like to be a little bit vulnerable when it comes. I like to be vulnerable when it comes to those things. I like to show people too that I'm not perfect um, in the vet med fields. None of us are perfect. None of us have all the answers. We're learning every day. I, like I said, I've been in the field for 16 years and my favorite thing to do is ask people, but why? Because vet med is always changing. Um, so it's not me asking because I think you're doing it wrong. It's because I want to know more and being able to flip that mindset and helping like my team and stuff like that more was able to help them flip their mind when it came to having conversations as to them really wanting to know why things happened as opposed to this has happened this is how i feel about it and that's it mm -hmm. i don't want to know anything else mm -hmm. I, that, that's such a good point because uh, and i love the part where you said like yeah. like letting someone know like you want to talk to them but saying it's okay it's not right now is not a good time because maybe like it might feel like an ambush to some people or that type of person is just such a introvert i mean vet men is full of introverts so maybe they're just not that type of person that can deal with it like they need to analyze it and prepare uh, research maybe i don't know but i love that that point like hey like i'd really like to talk to you about xyz can we revisit this when you're you have time or something and I love that. Yeah. <laughs> you bring up a really great point too, because 
you said that not everybody is, you know, people are, are introverted, right? So we're not always ready for conversation. I think it's also good to point out that sometimes these difficult, challenging conversations are not always negative, right? We always assume that challenging conversations are negative, but for some people, any conversation is challenging, right? Like if you are a true introvert, you don't want to talk to people. Mm -hmm. And you're like any convert, like if I'm your leader and I come to you as an introvert, no matter what, you're already shut down. You think that something's wrong. It's negative. You're like, oh my God, I have to talk to her. (laughs) And so... I, I've worked with people that like that and you really have to work through it with them. Like they really have to feel safe with you in order for them to be able to have a conversation with you. I worked with one gentleman who it didn't matter. We, it could be the best conversation. It could be me like, Hey, I want to chat with you about some really great things. He would turn bright red, completely shut down, could not like formulate sentences. And I'm like, I'm going to say, Joe, Joe, you're, you're okay. Like everything's okay. Mm -hmm. He really challenged me to like, to truly dig deep and learn what it means to have psychologically safe teams. Because I was like, dude, I'm saying good things. (laughs) But for some people it's, it's super challenging for them to take any kind of feedback or to have any kind of conversation for whatever, for whatever reason um that they've experienced you know they automatically go to oh my god this is a terrifying situation Mm -hmm. well especially like with it's so good that mental health is becoming so relevant now and not even just mental health like maybe even like mental challenges what do you consider like um like adhd add maybe you have um you may be autistic you know like that's becoming more aware and people are becoming more um what's the word like they're they're able to speak about it or at least let their employers know employers are hiring people like that not discriminating against them so i mean it's such a you know melting pot of people in this field like and like you said it's not even just the the difficult conversations but just talking could be the difficult thing yeah of it (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so Emily, with your exp- expertise in facilitating crucial conversation workshops, what are some key preparation steps before entering a challenging dialogue? Um, one of the first things that you'll want to do is um, kind of state your end game. Um, let the other person know what you want to accomplish from this conversation that you're about to have. Uh, it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. like. I'm going to have a conversation with you and I want to talk about X, Y, Z, and this is what I want to accomplish at the end of it. That person that I'm getting ready to talk to is going to go, oh, okay, cool. We're going to talk about this and we're going to come up with a solution kind of thing. And I know for me personally, because I'm not so much introverted, but I've had a very hard time having conversations with people. Uh, It took me a really long time to get to where I'm at. It did not happen overnight. Um, But I will say once I was able to start stating what my intent was, it was definitely a lot easier to have these conversations um, and be able to talk with people um, and get to a final end game and a result and not just an argument, which was great. And uh, I've said it a million times, but make sure you're getting facts over feelings and trying not to get the other person's feelings involved, which is super hard to do, um, including your feelings. So one of the things that I 
have practiced myself is I will take a situation that has happened, process my feelings, and then think of what exactly happened to make me feel that way. So what were the exact events that happened that made me feel that way? And those were where my facts were coming from. Now, Suzanne, how do you approach these conversations, especially considering the importance of nonverbal cues? Yes. So I think that it's really important to make sure that you are not having these conversations in front of other people. Um, oh, making yes. sure to <laughs> people, even good conversations, honestly, I think it, it pick and choose. It depends. It really depends on what it is. And it's also really important that you know your people, because honestly, some people really enjoy, uh, oh, you want that one? Okay, cool. Sorry. I'm like dual screening here and my kid. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So some people really enjoy the like big over the top, tell everyone I'm amazing. And some people would rather die, right? Hole, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, would rather not deal with that. So really knowing your people is, is gotta be step one. Step two is making sure that in the appropriate situations, right? If it is a true crucial, a true difficult conversation, we have to have a performance conversation. We have to have a conversation that may be leading to termination at some point. Those types of conversations do not have them in front of anyone. Um, if you have to talk about something or you have to approach somebody about something that you're maybe upset about or there's emotions, do not do that in front of other people. It doesn't feel good. If you've ever been on the other end of that, you don't want to do that to other people. It feels like crap. So definitely right place, right time. Um, make sure that you have the space, not just emotionally. Emily just talked about emo emotionally being able to have the space, but also have the space and time physically and in making sure that your environment is not one that you're going to get interrupted. People know that you're having a conversation. The doors closed means do not enter, you know, and, and turn the phone down, keep your cell phone away. If you have your, I can't show my cell phone, pretend. <laughs> if you have your phone, I'm using it. If you have your phone, you know, out on the desk, open over while you're talking to somebody and somebody texts you, you're no longer paying attention to that person. You're now looking at your phone or you're, paying attention to the other things. So making sure that there's no distractions. You just talked about ADHD. I'm very open that I have ADHD. Mm -hmm. I cannot have distractions, but somehow I make this work. <laughs> I was gonna say, you're killing it right I now. know, I know. <laughs> uh, I'm used to this. You should have seen me back when I used to be on like big, you know, corporate meetings and I have kids coming oh, all over me. Um, <laughs> But maintaining an open body language. So Amy Cuddy is famous. I don't know if any if you guys know of Amy Cuddy, but she's a uh, she's got a TED talk all about power posing. <laughs> about power posing, and she talks about before going into difficult conversations, you need to like you need to open up your body and put your hands on your hips like Superwoman. And stand there really, really strong. Take a deep breath and be like, I got this. Uh, you could also do the starfish, put all of your limbs out. Making your body open makes you available. It also kind of just gets that adrenaline rushing and gets you ready to have the conversation. Once you're in that conversation, maintaining eye contact. Now, like not weird eye contact. You don't want to be like this staring at the person because mm -hmm. that's uncomfortable. Um, 
my favorite is if the person is standing you're standing if the person is sitting you're sitting if they're sitting and you're standing that person now feels like you are talking at them also paying attention to your um I talk with my hands, but paying attention to what you're doing with your hands. If you're standing, this is called steepling. So if you're sitting and your hands are like this, this is a power move. So that does that tells people that you're like trying to be powerful. Never point your finger at anyone. That's a really big one at Disney. You'll get fired if you point your finger, even if you're pointing oh, in a direction, you always point with two fingers. So like little things like that, there's so much to do with body language. Um, I always, you can't, uh, can't see me but if i'm talking to a crowd of people or a group of people or even one person if i'm talking to a client my hands are in my pockets i always have my thumbs out thumbs mean that you're open thumbs out thumbs in mean that you're closed off it's such a small little thing but if i if i have my hands completely in my pockets it's like this unconscious reminder like thumbs out i don't i don't know how to remind yourself that but i'm like thumbs out you know i like to <laughs> You gotta like, thumbs up, thumbs out. We're happy, right? Like always have your body language open. And Emily just said, hey, that's mine. Oh, she saw her bracelet. Um, if you're, if the person you're talking to is closed off, if they're, if they're like this, if they're, if they're, you know, body is turned the opposite direction. If there's a desk between you, all of these things are things to take note of. Uh, it tells you how they are feeling and, and handling the situation. It also tells them a lot about how you're feeling and handling the situation. Um, and lastly, one of the big things for me is facial expressions. So when you're listening to that person, don't be, don't be rolling your eyes. Like em Emily said just a few mm -hmm. minutes ago, don't be rolling your eyes. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you can also, even that, like I'm listening to you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sure. Right. Like that doesn't tell you yeah, that you I don't... care about what you're <laughs> Right. So you want to make sure that you're not feeling, you're not seeming aggressive or dismissive. You want to listen with intent. You want to give the person your utmost attention and most of the time, if the person is ready to receive the conversation, most of the time, if you are, if you're open and you have that open body language, it, they will, there's a, I can't remember. And I didn't write it down to rip, to talk about it, but there's, there's like mirroring almost, I think it's what it's called where people will actually mirror both your emotion mm -hmm. and what you're doing. So if you're open, they'll become more open. If you're calm, they'll become more calm. Uh, I talk a lot about being a, temp a thermometer or being a thermostat. So you're getting like all of it right now. Yeah. <laughs> so if you are a thermometer, what do you do, right? You go, your temperature raises and goes up and down with wherever you are in the room. If you're a thermostat, you are, creating the temperature for that room you're setting that temperature so i always go into these conversations thinking do i want to go into a room that's at 100 degrees right everybody's pissed off about sally who didn't pay her bill do i want to walk into that room and be pissed off with them and go right to 100 with them or do i want to walk into that room a cool 72 or 68 depending on your preference and do i want to then set that tone for that room and almost always 
that room that's at 100 degrees will start to come down because of that person that is coming in cool, calm, and collected. Most recently, I started working with a doctor that I used to work with, again, part-time, just to help out. And she even said, she's like, Suzanne, you're so calm. And I was like, yeah, because none of, like, why am I going to get upset? I'm walking in here, cool 72, nothing's going to bother me. Because I'm not, I'm not here to be a thermometer. We know what thermometers do in bed hospitals. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I love, love that analogy. That's great. <laughs> um, so how does emotional intelligence play into handling these conversations? And could you share an example of that? So emotional intelligence is a huge, huge passion of mine. It's, uh, I think, personally learning about emotional intelligence has been such a game changer for myself both personally and professionally um for anyone who doesn't know what emotional intelligence is um essentially it allows you to understand and manage your own emotions while being able to then empathize with others so understanding how our emotions how and why our emotions uh, influence our behavior allows you to make better decisions, more intelligent decisions and identify opportunities that allow you to be, be a better leader, right? Again, with family at home, at, at work, um, understanding what triggers me, understanding what affects me and makes me emotional or emotional beings. So what brings me to that thermometer we're going back to my analogy right what brings me to 100 degrees understanding what does that and putting things into place to to recognize it as it's happening to stop it knowing when i have to take a break knowing when it's time to step away that's all emotional intelligence so there's four parts of emotional intelligence uh self-awareness so when you are more self-aware like i just said self-management when you're able to then once you know those things, now you're able to manage those things. Mm -hmm. Needs assessment is more about what is around you, what other people need, what you need in order to manage those things. And then common sense, which is really hard to teach people um, because it means different things to different people. Um, but mm -hmm. honestly, you know, becoming more self-aware, I think, the best example that I can give personally, and, and Emily, I'm sure you have your own experience there too, but back, uh, I don't know why I always tell this story because I feel like it doesn't make me look like a good person, but back way before I was ever in vet med, <laughs> I was a really terrible customer. Um, I went to McDonald's and I ordered apple pies i don't know i haven't been to mcdonald's in a really long time and i don't know if the apple pies are still two for a dollar but back then they were and i ordered them she rang me up i gave her my dollar and then she turned around and said oh we're out of apple pies do you want a cookie and i exploded this is not somebody with emotional intelligence i totally exploded i was like what the f are you talking about why i was cursing at her this poor young girl at the back oh. at the other side of the couch like, in hindsight right i'm like why did i get so upset first of all over i mean the apple pies are good but like really 
you know? And so I had a friend pull me aside and say, if that's how you're going to act, I can't, cause I was with a bunch of friends. She was like, if that's how you're going to act in public, I can't be in public with you. That's and I really like, I was like, I was like, <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, God. Yeah, I don't know. I honestly, to this day, it was such a influential moment in my life because it, had I not trusted her, also, she was my manager and friend. We became oh. very good friends, but it wasn't that she can't like, she knew how I worked. It wasn't like that at work, mm -hmm. but she, she told me, you know, if you're going to be like this, we can't be seen in public. Like you can't act mm -hmm. like that. And we were in the mall that we worked in. It was like, it was just all things that were bad, right? Like mm -hmm. now I know I'm like, I was probably wearing my work uniform. I was probably now like the, the voice of that store walking in there being crazy. We don't act like that, right? And so it was a real test of maturity. I think that maturity is, is a good, good word for that. But, uh, you know, I trusted her and I, I cared about her and I believed that she had the best intentions when she was telling me this and therefore I was receptive to it. I think what we have to be careful of when we try to have conversations with people about their emotional intelligence is that people do not change if they don't want to change and they truly have to trust you to take the f and, and want the feedback, right? They have to be open to and want the feedback to be able to change. Um, and that was a pivotal, mo pivotal moment in my life. Um, did I change overnight? I'd love to say that I did, but I absolutely <laughs> did not. Um, I am a much better customer. I would never do that to somebody. Um, um unless you're Verizon, sorry, Verizon. No, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> I, I definitely, um, I definitely think think more now than I ever have when I am the customer because I, I put myself in their shoes, use empathy, all of these things. But it really started with that self-awareness and truly being able to hear someone who I trusted to be able to give me that feedback and then take it and then learn over time with lots and lots of therapy and help how to manage it. Especially, you know, like, I mean, if you didn't have someone say that, you might not know that that's how you come off to people. Like, sure, like that happened, but like you said, you you kind of even don't remember it. Like sometimes people black out and things happen, even not such stressful situations or such negative ones. Like, I feel like most of the time they are, but you know, sometimes people just need like a, you know, this happened, like they need to reflect and go over it together and, for them to say how it made them feel too. Yeah. I mean, that, that had to have been such a big wake up call. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in hindsight, I was like, I really had to think, sit down and think like, why did that upset me so much? Like there were, there was a lot Hi. to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> but I mean, oh, but at, the end, at the end of the day, you know, it, it truly is. It, it was emotional intelligence and learning about emotional intelligence brought me back to that. Hey, what are you doing? It's not touch screen. Brought me back to that and, and how, and how to communicate with people. And I mean, when I, the words emotional intelligence came into my repertoire, like came in front of my face was many years after that. So I had been working on something that I didn't have a name for, for years. And now I like, 
totally understand that being aware of my surroundings, being aware of where I am, what I'm wearing, who I'm with, totally changes how I act. If I am, if I work for a company and I'm wearing anything that has their name on it, I might get really angry, but I'm like, okay. (laughs) Hold it back. Because (laughs) you are their face, right? For that person. And that could totally change that one customer or one client's view on that company because you become their face. And, and it's just like, so I won't wear this shirt and curse. Ah, (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say like, especially, um, with social media now too, like you gotta be really careful, especially if you're wearing another person or another company's, um, if you're wearing a company's merchandise, you know, you just make them look look a certain way yeah it goes way beyond you for sure Mm -hmm. now what are your guys thoughts on the best time and place to have um these conversations like whether it be good or bad and uh how does the setting impact the outcome i mean i i mentioned before privacy um Mm -hmm. i think that I, i i don't so when I was thinking about this question, I or thinking about this question, I, I immediately say never have difficult conversations by yourself because you just never know and it protects you and it protects the other person by having an unbiased third party. Sure. And then I think about the per, me as the employee being in that conversation and I think that it really depends. Well, there you have it. And we gave you a sneak peek of how the conversation starts in part two. We hope to see you back in a week when we share part two of this conversation. If you can't wait and want to hear the rest right now, we get it. We get it. Head over to love.huvet on Instagram. That is L-O-V-E dot H-U-V-E-T on Instagram. Scroll down just a little bit and you'll see the almost 80 minute full conversation. See you here in a week for part two if you do wait for the rest.